0: This morning, I want to bring a challenge to the students, but actually a challenge to all of us uh, as we consider the final marching orders of King Jesus. Uh, Actually, those marching orders are embedded in Southeastern Seminary's mission statement, which simply says this, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. And it is the great commission that I speak of that is there in our mission statement. A statement that you, uh, a phrase that you actually don't find in the Bible. But I do believe it actually uh, and accurately captures the final words of Jesus as he spoke to his disciples as recorded in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verse 29, uh, verse 18, 19, and 20. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, uh, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, These are his last words. And by their very nature, last words are meant to be lasting words, important words, words that will make a lasting impression, or at least they, they should be. Uh, for many years, I've been curious and found fascinating uh, the last words that you find from various persons throughout history. And so, in preparation for this, I did a little research and came across some interesting statements that were made by those uh, who were on their deathbed or who would die soon thereafter. For example, Alexander the Great, who had conquered the known world by the age of 33 and then died uh, with his boots on, crying like a baby. Quote, there are no more other worlds for me to conquer. And he died. Anne Boleyn, uh, wife of Henry VIII, who saw fit to have his bride decapitated, uh, looked at the executioner and said, sir, I believe you are very expert. And I see that my neck is also very slender. And those were her final words before her head was taken off. Her husband on his deathbed. So now all is gone. Empire, body, soul. Leonardo da Vinci, the great Italian inventor and artist. I have offended God and mankind. Because my work did not reach the quality it should have. That's an amazing statement coming from Leonardo da Vinci. Machiavelli, uh, the humanist, uh, who said, keep your uh, friends close and your enemies closer, said this on his deathbed, I desire to go to hell, not heaven. In hell, I will enjoy the company of popes. (laughs) He said it, not I, okay? (laughs) Popes. Kings, princes, but in heaven, they are only beggars, monks, and apostles. Jean-Paul Sartre, the atheistic existentialist philosopher, I failed, and he died. John Newton gave us the wonderful song, Amazing Grace. I am still in the land of the dying, but soon I shall be in the land of the living." Stalin, whose daughter described the death of her father. Father died terribly and in difficulty. God gives the righteous an easy death. Karl Marx, who actually was born into a Christian Jewish family, but is the founder, of course, of communism. On his deathbed, he was surrounded by candles burning to Lucifer He screamed at the nurse who asked him if he had any last words. Go on, get out. Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. David Hume, the atheist philosopher, cried, I am in flames. It was said by those who were there, his scene was of a desperate and horrible nature. Polycarp, you should remember that name from your church history. Died in A.D. 168, was about to be burned, and he said, Eighty and six years I have now served Christ, and he has never done me the least wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And Diedrich Bonhoeffer, shortly before he was hanged by the Nazis, said this, This is the end for me, but actually the beginning of life. Last words are meant to be lasting words. They are meant to make an impression, and certainly I believe that was on the mind of Jesus when he uttered these words that we find at the end of Matthew's gospel. They indeed inform us of our Lord's passion as well as the divine assignment he has given every one of us until he comes again. And I would uh, take note of this. Unlike these others, the final words of Jesus were not uttered by a dying man. Uh, they were uttered by the resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was of keen mind. Uh, he was thinking clearly, and he knew exactly what he wanted to say to you, to me, to all of us, as the final marching orders that we are to obey until the end of the age. Basically, we can build these two verses around three simple ideas uh, his power, uh, his plan, and his promise. He begins by an acknowledgement of his power, an acknowledgement that all of us should make as well. Jesus came and said to them, all authority. By the way, the word all or always occurs four times in this text. He is indeed the comprehensive King and Lord Christ. He came to them and said, all authority, whether it be in heaven or whether it be on earth, it has been given to me. Many have noted that these words have in a, a, real, a real connection with the Son of Man promise in Daniel seven thirteen through 14 where they see the Son of Man coming again on the clouds of glory to receive all the kingdoms of the world. I like what John Piper, a pastor in uh, Minnesota, says about these verses. The risen Christ is great. He is greater than you ever imagined. Here is our witness to the world. The risen Christ is your king. And he has absolute unlimited authority over your life. If you do not bow and worship Jesus and trust him and obey him, you commit high treason against your king, who is God and Lord over all. In the context of his having all authority, all power, Hudson Taylor the great missionary to China said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. I don't care where you go, whether it be here in North Carolina, here in the South, the Northeast, the Northwest, the Midwest, the West Coast, God takes you to a foreign country, God takes you to an unreached people group, you go with his authority You go with the promise of His power. He will supply everything you ever need to complete His will in your life. We must acknowledge His power. But secondly, we should also obey His command. We find that in verse 19, very familiar words to many of us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, all the people groups baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit verse 20 teaching teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you of course you again learned hopefully in your greek classes that the imperative there is make disciples we are to go and make disciples devoted followers of Jesus but he tells us how to do that and actually because of the imperative there the three participles that are orbiting about that word also receive imperatival significance so we are to go we are to baptize and we are to teach go make disciples of all the nations baptize them and teach them Now, there's a very practical application for all of you here today, and that is simply this. There's no need to stop and ask God, should we go to the nations? You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to meditate on it. You don't need to seek counsel from others. He's made it very clear, you and I are to go. Now, there may be some, even some here today, who love you dearly. And they're just a little skittish about that and a little hesitant about that. But the bottom line is, when everything is said and done, as I said to you all yesterday, all that matters in life is that you please God. We love those who love us. We take stock of those who care about us. But when everything is said and done, we obey King Jesus. We know from from, from experience and even from God's Word that His will is not always safe, but it is always best. And therefore, we don't have to pray, Lord, do we need to go to the, and I checked this morning, 6,898 unreached people groups in the world. Lord, we don't need to pray, do we? Should we go to the 2.8 billion who have never heard the name of Jesus? No, we don't need to pray about that. We need to go. We need to go to the unreached, and some of you will be going to the unreached, to those areas around the world where the name of Jesus has yet to be heard and proclaimed. Some of you, God is calling you to the underserved areas of North America, to the teeming uh, millions in these cities that, that dot our landscape, that have a very faint gospel witness. Some of you are being called by God to go and revive, if I can just be blunt, dead churches where the light of the gospel has become so faint you can can hardly see it at all, and yet God wants again to do a great work in that church and plant there a great commission outpost for King Jesus. As you all know, I draw great strength from the biographies of missionaries, and so I'm reading about them all the time. And John Keith Falconer, a name that most of you would not know, he was an English aristocrat. He was an Arabic scholar at Cambridge. He was a world cycling champion in 1878. Uh, He was a hero and a man of some standing in England, and yet he left to go to Yemen as a missionary where he would die at the age of 31 from malaria. He would also be buried there. And John Falconer said this, I have but one candle in life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. C.T. Studd, one of the famous Cambridge Seven who served the Lord as a missionary in China, in India, and in Africa. He died in the Congo and was buried there in a very simple grave, And he said this, some wish to live within the sound of a church bell. (laughs) I wish to run a rescue mission within one yard of hell. I like that. That's worth reading again. Some wish to live within the sound of a church bell. But I wish to run a rescue mission within one yard of hell. And on his deathbed, the last words that came out of his mouth was a single word, hallelujah. David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa who died on his knees praying for that continent, whose heart was buried under a tree there, his body taken back to Westminster Abbey. Sympathy is no substitute for action. Without Christ, not one step. With Christ, anywhere, we have his plan to obey. But then finally, we have his promise that we can trust very simple words at the end of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You were taught in hermeneutics to ask the who, what, where, when, why, how questions. Who said this? King Jesus. What did he say? I am with you. How long did he say? Always. To the end of the age age now there's a lot of talk right now about the end of the age <clears throat> and maybe some of you guys are really excited that graduation took place today <laughs> and not sunday of course, the worst thing—I don't even know—I'm going to say this—but the worst thing I, I'm I could imagine would be a guy that's scheduled to be married on Sunday. Good night. I would move that puppy up till today, at least. You know, I—I'm—I'm I'm sorry that that that. As Doc Holliday would say, that's more than I can bear. Okay, so I—I I, just—I just could not imagine. And of course, uh, a lot's going on uh, with respect to uh, this man Harold Camping, camping, and his prediction that tomorrow will be the day of the rapture and I was even asked to give my opinion and I said you know I appreciate uh, their sincerity uh, but I believe the Bible is quite clear that, that no one knows the day or time that's something that God has reserved unto himself but let me say this I find nothing in the Bible that says the rapture could not occur today There's nothing in Scripture, I don't care what your eschatology is, there's nothing in Scripture that would say Christ could not come before we are finished with this graduation. What he tells us is to be faithful, and he promises he will be faithful to us and with us to the end. So our marching orders are clear, aren't they? We will take the gospel... To all the nations, knowing he is with us until the day he comes again. But now I want to talk to all of you for just a moment. There are some of you that are here today because you love dearly these graduates. And yet the fact of the matter is, if Christ were to come tomorrow in the evening, as Mr. Camping says, or he were to catch us all by surprise today, you wouldn't be prepared. You, you wouldn't be ready. And the fact of the matter is, He is coming again. You can take that to the bank. But in that context, I would be remiss if I did not say to you this morning, and He loves you. He loves you dearly. In fact, He loves you so very, very, very much that He died on that cross 2,000 years ago just for you Uh, you were on his mind and you were in his heart as he bore in his body the full penalty of the sin that you rightly deserve to pay he loves you that much and you see i know you think you're here today because you chose to be here but the fact of the matter is all of us are here today by divine appointment and for some of you i know you came here today to celebrate the graduation of a son a daughter a brother a sister a friend but actually god had you here today for the simple purpose of hearing the gospel and perhaps this day making the greatest decision a person will ever make in all of life and that is to turn from their sin and to embrace jesus as their personal lord and savior yesterday at graduation we prayed for you we prayed for you uh, for those of you that are here today who don't know christ and we asked that today god might surprise you and do a wonderful thing and bring you to himself and save you and in fact i even put before the students this proposition what would it take or let me put it this way imagine at the graduation ceremony tomorrow here are two options Option number one, I take my diploma and walk back and sit down and greet those afterwards who love me. And we go home and my mom, my dad, they leave this graduation ceremony lost. Or I leave my diploma sitting there. I don't take it home. I never put it on my wall. In fact, my hands will never touch it. But my mom and dad, my brother, and my sister will trust Jesus as their savior. Every single one of them said they would gladly leave that diploma there if that would let you know how much they love you and how longing they desire to see you come to faith in Jesus. He does love you more than you could ever imagine. He cares for you more than you could ever know. And he longs to have a relationship with every single one of us who's in this room today. I just want to invite you for just a moment to bow your head and close your eyes. Everyone, just for a moment. And I'm going to do something that uh, Billy Graham has done all of his wonderful, blessed ministry of the Lord. And that is I'm going to lead in what is called a, a sinner's prayer. There's nothing magical about the words. But if they are an expression of your heart, God's word promises that he will hear your prayer. And he will save you this very moment. You say, Danny, it's that simple. It is that simple because he did all the work on the cross. He paid it all. He paid it to the very last drop of his blood. And so this morning, if you would like to trust this great God, this great king who loves you and who died for you and was raised again for you, then just pray this simple prayer right now in your heart unto the Lord. The words again, expression of your heart, He will honor it. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I thank you that you love me and that you demonstrated your love toward me when you died on the cross for my sins. I know that I am a sinner. I know that I need to be saved. And so today... I repent of my sin, and I trust in you and you alone as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying for all of my sins. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And dear Lord, I know anyone praying that prayer in faith. You have heard, you have answered, and you have saved. And I rejoice in that. And dear Lord, it would be my prayer that after this ceremony comes to an end in just a a short while, when they see this loved one that they've come today to uh, honor and to celebrate with, that they would say, I am so very proud of you let me tell you something else when, when 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 Danny prayed that prayer I prayed it and I can sense in my soul and heart already that God heard my prayer and that he has saved me Lord I don't think they will be able to handle the the joy and the excitement they will see on the face of this graduate when they hug them by the neck and say that's the most wonderful news I think I've ever heard in all of my life and so Lord you do your work as only you can And we will thank you and rejoice in it. And Lord, help those who are graduating this day to indeed obey till their last breath the final marching orders of Jesus because he is worthy. He is worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary.